0: There are so many things that have been vastly misunderstood, and therefore concepts have been greatly misrepresented when it comes to the Christian faith. The misunderstood issue that perhaps stands out the most within Christian circles is the kingdom of God, or also referenced in scripture as the gospel of the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. Today on Keeping It Real, it's part two of my interview with Frank Viola, as he will continue to dissect common myths that have been so prevalent when the kingdom of God is referenced. In case you missed part one of the invigorating and insightful interview with Frank on the prior episode, I highly recommend that you take an earnest listen to it. All of the content on both episodes is compiled as a full unit and therefore should be listened to in full in order to get the full impact. Now let's get into part two with my interview with Frank Viola. All right, Frank, now we move on to kingdom myth number five, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this one. The Mm -hmm. kingdom is separate from the ecclesia. Now, the ecclesia, of course, meaning that that's in the Greek meaning gathering or meeting the concept of the church, as you've written, not only in insurgents, but in many of your other works as well, and it's plastered all over your blog articles, is that the meaning of church has been uh, greatly distorted. Uh, for centuries really. And so can you explain this myth of how the kingdom is separate from the ecclesia?
1: Yeah, this is the myth that refuses to die even though I have eviscerated it in writing after writing and also in conference messages that are on my podcast. I keep hearing people say it. I keep hearing even leaders repeat the myth and the myth is the kingdom is separate from the ecclesia. No, it is not. You cannot sustain that idea from the New Testament. Now Ecclesia, as you pointed out, does not mean a church building, it doesn't mean a Sunday morning service, doesn't mean a denomination, doesn't mean an institutional organization that people call church. Ecclesia, the best word, to translate it into English would be assembly. And it is the gathering of God's people on a regular basis in a local area. All right. It's intensely local. Mm-hmm. So the ecclesia in Jerusalem, the ecclesia in Corinth, the Ecclesia in Thessalonica, the Ecclesia in Ephesus, etc. And when there are a group of ecclesias being referred to, the New Testament uses Ecclesia is plural. So that's an important point to make because the word has gotten lost. But the New Testament makes very clear that ecclesia, the local face-to-face community of God's people who were following Jesus of Nazareth and learning to live by his indwelling life together, was not, is not, separated from the kingdom of God. One of the points that I make in the book Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, and I support this biblically, is that the kingdom of God is, a part of it at least, is the manifestation of God's ruling presence in the earth. Hmm. And the manifestation of God's ruling presence is through his people together, the ecclesia. And this is why Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says, He made us to be a kingdom kingdom. (laughs) <laughs> All right. right. That's clear. Very clear.
0: And you make that uh, argument elsewhere, too, don't you, Frank, where people use this word church. And when they use the phrase, we are going to church, you diffuse that and refute that by saying you can't go to something you are,
1: right? Corporately. Correct. But then we have Revelation 5, verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom. There again, the ecclesia is referred to as the kingdom and priests to serve our God. And in the New Testament, the people of God are the kingdom of priests, which was prophesied in Exodus 19 and fulfilled in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in the book of Revelation. And so the ecclesia are the people of God who are ruled by Christ, and that is one of the three aspects of the kingdom. As I've pointed out in the book, Insurgents, and in many messages, the kingdom of God includes three things, the king who rules, that's Jesus, he incarnates the kingdom, a people who are ruled, that's the ecclesia, and the king's actual rulership. Now, here's the thing that I hear people say. They say things like, Jesus only mentioned the ecclesia a few times, but he mentioned the kingdom over 100 times. Therefore, the kingdom is more important than the Ecclesia. Well, we got to hit the brakes here. (laughs) If we're going to play the how many times did he use this word game, then we would have to argue that Paul Tarsus did not believe in discipleship nor disciples. Right. Because he never used the word disciple in the epistles, not once. Okay, so you cannot look at the New Testament through that very simplistic sophomoric lens. What you have to realize is that when Jesus used the word kingdom, he was referring to very often the kingdom community, the ecclesia, what the ecclesia is in Paul's letters and what it is in the book of Acts. Not only that, but whenever Jesus was talking to that little band of 12 men and five to eight women. Who were following him very closely and faithfully. And he used the word you, Y O U, you will be the light in a dark world. When he used the word you, he was talking to the ecclesia. Yeah, right. Okay. So you can't just count how many times he actually used the word ecclesia to get his passion, his views. Um, and his priority on what the ecclesia was, you have to count all the times he used the word you, Y-O-U, and he was talking to that little band of followers of his who constituted the embryonic expression of the ecclesia. It just had expanded on the day of Pentecost, but it was the same thing. It was a group of people living in close-knit community who were enthroning Jesus Christ as head. They were doing that while he was on the earth, and then when he rose again from the dead, they were still doing it, only he was in the spirit. But that's the Ecclesia, and so you cannot separate the Ecclesia from the kingdom of God any more than you can separate the body from the head. The two are inexplicably and inseparably connected. We would say that they are umbilically connected, referring to the umbilical cord. Right. right. <laughs> um, so. This is a misnomer. I wish I can say that putting out this podcast on your show, and I'm going to replay it on my podcast, is going to solve the problem. But it's not, because A, most Christians are never going to hear us talk about this. Unfortunately, most Christians will never read the book Insurgents, just because there are millions and millions of books put out constantly. The ones that pay the most ads get seen. And three, the third thing is, even those who hear this, there's a percentage of them that will forget, and they will just go with the party line. Jesus used the kingdom a 100 times, but he only used ecclesia twice, and therefore the kingdom is more important, and it's something different. And that's just is not the case.
0: Yeah. Well, not only will they forget, but probably I would suggest that if there are people that actually would pick up a copy of *Insurgents* and just begin reading it. They probably get to about page eight and then be tempted to throw the book across the room because <laughs> it just you know, it it just doesn't fit the 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 uh, traditional narrative that has been going on right. for so long. So, but yeah. I appreciate you making several uh, distinguishing uh, comments there on how you cannot separate the two. They're inseparable. And I appreciate the analogy of the umbilical cord. I think a lot of people can connect with that, uh, Mm -hmm. whether if um, they truly know Christ or even if there are people that are listening to this and that are outside of Christ, that is something that they can definitely connect with. Let's move on to kingdom myth number six, if we could. The kingdom of God, this is what this myth says, okay? The kingdom of God is within you, quote unquote, within you as an individual and that it's a privatized reality. Can you explain that one?
1: Yeah, there's several problems with this myth, and I keep hearing people say it. It's based on certain translations of Luke 17, 21, and some of those translations render that wording by Jesus as the kingdom of God is neither here nor there. The kingdom of God is within you, and that's the King James Version. Hmm. And the problem with this is that that translation is a poor one. The better translations do not translate the word entos, that's the word there, into within. They translate it as in the midst of you. Now, this is important because when Jesus was talking in this dialogue, in this conversation, He was talking to Pharisees.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, (laughs) that's important.
0: It's very (laughs) critical.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because not only is it clear that the Pharisees, if you read the Gospels as a narrative, all of them, not only is it crystal clear that they were not recipients of the kingdom of God within them, but Jesus told parables, and many of them are in the book of Matthew in the later chapters. That made the point that they were thrust out of the kingdom, that they didn't even enter into it. So for him to say, hey, Pharisees, by the way, the kingdom of God is within you, is nonsensical when you look at the rest of the gospel material. The better translation is in your midst. And not only is that a better translation of that word in this context, but the very fact that... Jesus Christ incarnates the kingdom. And in the context of what he was saying there, he was simply saying, look, you're looking for the kingdom of God to come here and there. It doesn't come that way. The kingdom of God is right in the midst of you. I am the kingdom of God. You're looking at the kingdom of God right now. And that's what that word means. In effect, in the Greek, it is entos human, in the midst of you. Other first-rate New Testament scholars interpret it to mean within your reach or within your grasp, which is the same thing as saying, hey, I'm right here. You could reach your hand out and touch me. I'm the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is standing right here in your midst. I'm within your reach. I am the incarnation of God's kingdom. And that is what Luke 17 says. Verse 21 is saying that's what Jesus was uttering, according to the best New Testament and
0: Greek scholars. Well, I tell you, well put, Frank, and it always amazes me how particularly the Pharisees, who were, of course, a very religious people, were in touch with him. They would listen to him. They would would hear what he would have to say with different things that they would put up on him, and they just didn't get it. <laughs> they didn't want to get it.
1: You uh, hit the nail on the head when you said they didn't want to get it, because there is such a thing as being intentionally deluded. because you do not want to hear the truth. You can't handle it. And so you become dull of hearing to that which is real and true, and you intentionally misinterpret. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we move on to now Kingdom Myth number seven, and this will be the last one uh, in these uh, line of myths. But going through these myths has been just absolutely powerful and amazing to me. Here's the last one. and this one probably pertains mostly to our Pentecostal brethren, but I'm sure there's uh, it, it involves all um, mm-hmm. uh, people, uh, you know, every breath or stroke within Christian circles. And that is the kingdom of God is the equivalent of signs, miracles and wonders. Now, I can't wait to hear what you have to say on this. One. Yeah.
1: And after I address this, I want to just circle back to that last myth and add a few points to it, because there are some important truths that relate to this whole business of the kingdom of God is within you and how that has been a poor translation But yes, this seventh myth, the kingdom of God is the equivalent of signs, miracles, and wonders. This has been a prevalent and popular view, as you say, among the charismatic and Pentecostal world. And I grew up in that world, so I know it very well. And I still speak in charismatic conferences. I was just last week speaking at a Pentecostal charismatic church and conference. And it was was a wonderful experience. I'm someone who believes, in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the miraculous. I believe God still does miracles and signs and wonders. But the overemphasis that some in the charismatic world have put on it renders the whole scripture imbalanced and one's relationship to the Lord to be imbalanced, where many of God's people seek his hand rather than his face. And there's a big difference between the two. But as one who believes in all of the uh, spiritual gifts that the New Testament envisions and demonstrates, I believe in the spiritual gifts without the charismatic wrappings and Pentecostal packaging. And so what that means is you could still have a miraculous work of God or a supernatural work of God, but it comes in more of a natural wrapping one that doesn't have a lot of artificial surroundings and um, attachments. And I talk about this in the book, Revise Us Again. But when Jesus was on the earth, he was the full and complete embodiment of the kingdom of God. And that's why healings, miracles, signs, and wonders were frequent in his ministry, because the future kingdom had arrived in its fullness in Christ in its fullness. okay. But today, after he has ascended, we live in the spiritual tension where the kingdom is already, but not yet. Mm -hmm. It's not here in its fullness. Now, it was here in its fullness in the person of Jesus. But now that he has ascended and we're waiting for him to return, the kingdom is here. It's today, but it's also tomorrow. (laughs) And it's also future. Mm-hmm. So that's why Paul says things like in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in part, we know in part. And so consequently, the miraculous certainly does take place. All right. But it takes place in part, it is not here in its fullness. And this explains why sometimes there are healings and other times there are not, because we're still in that not yet transition. Right. We're in the already, but the not yet has has yet to come. The other thing is, the signs and wonders of Jesus often pointed to something much bigger. For example, a healed ear pointed beyond the healing to spiritual healing. An opened eye pointed beyond the physical eye opening up and seeing to spiritual seeing. They they had a significance beyond the miracle. And there are seasons when God invades the earth with the miraculous power of his kingdom— And during those seasons, masses of people are saved, masses are healed, masses are delivered. But then that season passes, and those things still happen, but not as frequent. If a person doesn't understand this, Ollie, especially if they're a Christian leader, they will try to turn the crank and conjure it up, and even exaggerate certain things, blowing up numbers, saying that people were healed when they weren't, and then... Taking healings that are, let's just say they're small in comparison to the healings of Jesus. Not to say that they are not good. Thank God when somebody's back is aching and someone prays for them and the back is healed. Thank God that someone who has a headache can be prayed for and the headache is gone. But to put those kinds of healings on the level of the signs and the wonders that Jesus affected when he was on the earth there's no comparison. Jesus healed people of cerebral palsy. Yeah. That is extremely rare. And here's why I'm saying this, because I know people who major in signs and wonders. That's their ministry. And yet I've interviewed individuals who are in that ministry up at the highest levels. And when I ask them, tell me the greatest miracle you've ever seen, The responses are pretty surprising in that they don't even come close to what Jesus was doing. I'm making that point because if you're going to emphasize that your whole ministry is about signs and wonders, you would think there really are (laughs) signs and wonders. There there would be a lot to tell of the caliber of the caliber and the magnitude Else I wouldn't go around saying we're about signs and wonders. Let's all do signs and wonders. And see, I don't want people to misunderstand. I believe in signs and wonders. But if you're going to major in that, then brother, sister, you ought to have some astounding testimonials that go beyond, you know, someone's leg growing out an inch or somebody's back pain being relieved or someone having a headache and it being gone. Let's see people who have blind eyes, seeing, people who have been deaf from birth, hearing, people who have the palsy, all right? Not they were in a car accident and they have to be in a wheelchair for a week. (laughs) I'm talking about these kinds of dramatic, profound sicknesses and illnesses and dysfunctions being healed of those things. If you're going to say my ministry is about signs and wonders, that's my point. And there have been only a few. All right, I'm not going to name names. There have only been a few in church history who had that kind of a exhibition of signs and wonders. But what's going on today from the people who claim signs and wonders, it's not the same. It's not what we see in the ministry of Jesus. My point is, even though signs and wonders and miracles are real and they do happen— That is not the equivalent of the kingdom of God. And I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again. The greatest teaching that Jesus gave on the kingdom of God, and most every Bible commentator and scholar will agree, it is the charter of the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's what's been traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. There's not one word about signs and wonders in that passage, not a word. Except at the end, when he says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, look at all the signs and wonders and miracles we did. And he will turn around and say, I never knew you.
0: Yeah, that's one of the most devastating statements of Christ in the scriptures.
1: Absolutely. It'll chill your blood, especially if you are somebody who majors in signs and wonders, because there's a message there. Mm -hmm. And that is to God character is more important far more important than gifts all right that your the way you live your life before god trumps by far any external signs, wonders, displays of miracles, or spiritual gifts that you may have in your life and/or ministry—this is important stuff. So, yeah, you cannot equate the kingdom to signs and wonders any more than you can equate the kingdom to making the world a better place, as we talked about before, which is which is another myth. But I, I wanted to quickly come right around and talk about this business of the kingdom of God is within you. Usually, people will say that. Not knowing that it's a bad translation of that text, but they're arguing that the kingdom is an internal, private thing. And the fact of the matter is it's not. The kingdom of God is a public social reality that shapes our entire life inside and out, private and social. As I said before, you cannot separate the kingdom from the ecclesia, and the ecclesia is communal. It's corporate. It's shared life. So the idea of the kingdom is within me, it often is couched and comes with a viewpoint that it's all about me and Jesus and the kingdoms in me. And, you know, it's this private thing. And that's
0: not the case. Absolutely amazing. Expanding or your uh, thorough and precise and pointed explanation of seven kingdom myths as you laid out in your book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, As you also have highlighted in your podcast, the Insurgents Podcast, and how you have done here on the Keeping It Real podcast.
1: Hey guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I've created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free eBooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankviola.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff. You just click on that, and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us, and that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate, all of them simple. Thank you very much, and God bless.